of cards is definitely crashing down. That that we can be absolutely certain of, but it's just whether it's crashing down financially as well. Yeah. That's the key. Well, it's very true, yes. Uh, I thought, um, actually, Oliver Kay wrote a nice piece in The Athletic. Uh, and <laughs> oh, we keep plug for The Athletic. Um, on uh, let's sort of compare and contrast piece on United's fall from grace uh, on the football front and uh, continued sort of strong performance um, off the field. I think we'll come to that uh, in more depth later in the show, um, but concluded it by saying, you know, would we see a different approach and a different rhetoric if uh, the financials weren't going so well? Of course we wouldn't. They'd never let it get to that point. And I think that's, um, it. you know, it seemed like a nice summary of this club in a nutshell. Uh, mismanagement has taken us to this point on the field, but uh, there's no way they'd accept that when it comes to money and Edward Wood would be out. Anyway, should, should, should Edward Wood be out after United's latest defeat? Should someone else be out? What did you think about uh, the West Ham game? And, and I guess first talk a little bit about Astana. Not a lot to say about that. Um, I, I just would, first of all should say that um, producer Tom found our attempt to prorogue this podcast to be unlawful, so we've had to come back, even though it was hard to think that we might actually want to talk about anything uh, after those games. I mean, the FCS game he's, is... He's, he's, he's uh, frustrating the will of the people, that's what he is. <laughs> There's no way the people out there want to hear this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, he... Uh, the the Astana game was very boring. Uh, the Mason Greenwood goal was absolutely fantastic and does hint at a bright future for... I mean, it's not a surprise that Mason Greenwood's got a bright future ahead of him. But actually, in, you know, the, the in terms of attacking play, our problem has clearly been being able to break down deep-lying stubborn defences and, well... Stubborn's a strong word. Deep-lying defensive of any yeah. emotional nature. Um, but Mason Greenwood, in the end, did do something absolutely brilliant. Yeah. A moment of brilliance to carve them open. And, and it was a fantastic goal. And, and honestly, like in a game that was incredibly unmemorable, there's two things I remember about that game. One is the Twanzebe chant, which is, you know, as you pointed out, got a little bit repetitive for your taste. So I can <laughs> I can see why Twanzebe diddy dum diddy do. Axel, Axel is addictive to do. Um, and you probably just don't want to hear it on telly for half an hour. But anyway, that and the uh, the fantastic Mason Greenwood goal. And the rest of it, I thought it was a bit of a shame that Gomez wasn't able to kind of work his magic. Yeah. Um, Couldn't really get into the game, did he? No. Um, I mean, look, um, I wouldn't call it a disaster of a game, but he, he didn't really... He, he wasn't able no. to influence the game in which we would have... In the manner to which we would have liked him to have done, but... Yeah, exactly. He, like he wasn't he 18 w- or something, and it's his first major game. So. He, he was just not able to show what he can do, which is that's that's you know that is unfortunate because we, but but Mason Greenwood was absolutely able to show what he can do, and do you know what? Uh, one of the things that's a weird thing to say, but against West Ham, blimey, did we miss Mason Greenwood? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mean he, he he Greenwood again. He he wasn't in the game. All that much, right? He, he's trying to drift inside a, a lot. I mean, he didn't get a, a huge amount of the ball, um, but he finished his chance very well, and that's what he does. I mean, he scores from every single angle, and uh, for left foot, right foot, head, anything, anything, you know. And and Oli has I mean, already he said he's he... basically the best finisher at the club, and uh, it was it was kind of fairly pointed a couple of weeks ago when he talked about um, how uh, Rashford and Martial had to catch up. 
in terms of the finishing. And, and, and it's a kind of interesting contrast this week because I noticed after the West Ham game, also awful lot of frustration with Marcus Rashford and his finishing. You know, and he missed a, a couple of good chances against Astana as well. And, and it's, you know, it's probably the weakest part of his game. I mean, he has got nearly 50 goals at the age of 21, which is a very rare event in uh, in the big Euro League. So I think a lot of people are, are quite premature trying to write him off, in, including uh, Josie Mourinho from the, in the pundit's chair. Um, but the contrast with Greenwood was kind of interesting, wasn't it? Because Greenwood got one half chance and, and finished it beautifully. Well, he didn't get one half chance, did he? He created it himself, thing, yeah. He, yeah, exactly. That's what, that's what I was I was going to say. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I people hammering Rashford against West Ham, a game that he pulled up injured halfway through. Oh yeah, like, I mean, look. that's that's not the kind of injury that Im- like magically suddenly happens. No, he really. played the second half of last season with an injury. Oli confirmed that over the summer, and um, he like you know the. That obviously affects your level of performance, but the other thing it does is destroy the argument, which I've seen from too many people, that Rashford doesn't care. He bloody does. He's going to play through half a season with an injury. He he clearly wasn't fit coming into the West Ham game because he was treading water really quickly, you know. And it, it looks like a, a muscle injury which could keep him out for some time. Yeah, which is um, desperately unfortunate because we finished that game with Jesse Lingard at a false number nine, which is. I mean, we said in the summer, didn't we? It's not going to take much for United to be really short up front, and and here's the proof of that pudding. Yeah, and and I don't know the the thing about that West Ham performance is it was dismal. I have to say, about a minute before they scored, I messaged a few people being like, "Yeah, this is terrible," but we do look a lot more defensively well organised than we did this time last year under Mourinho in this equivalent fixture, uh, and then we're like massively. Maguire and Ashley Young got caught, both got caught ball watching as you as you said and um and uh what's his name took his chance really well didn't he um he did unlike Paul Pogba who's just quality. headed over the bar from a beautiful position yeah we're both watching the Rochdale game that's uh that's a high xg chance that Paul Pogba's missed but it's very good to have him back in the side uh because oh, boy boy did we miss that creativity in, against West Ham yeah i mean look uh but Pogba um, has a collection of people who uh, really, really hate him, uh, and you know, in- including an awful lot of weird comments like "just get him out the side, I don't care if we're relegated," and "Brexit means Brexit" and stuff like that. So, um, which which I don't understand at all. United desperately need some quality in midfield, and and without him, uh, there is almost none. Uh, and Scott McTominay was a very willing runner against West Ham. Um, but, the, but but that's it, right? You know, you, he's our best midfielder apart from Pogba, and he's very one-dimensional still. You know, lots of heart, but he's got a long way to go until he's a quality player. N- Nemanja Matic and, and Wan Mata—they're both oof. done at this level. I mean, they just haven't got yeah, anything at all. Mata, um, I mean, Matic, we kind of knew, obviously, and I think we knew really that Mata was done. I mean, the fact that when we were talking about Jesse Lingard playing so badly and discussing Mata coming in, there was no hope in that. It's, you know, it, it, but it was absolutely atrocious. Both of those performances were genuinely atrocious. And it's really um, a big problem because they're actually two pillars of the squad. 
if you if you if you look at the the squad balance, if you imagine peak Juan Mata and peak Nemanja Matic in that squad, it's massively improved, isn't it? So there's almost like a kind of um, part of the squad building has been based on hoping that they're not finished, uh, but they they both look completely finished, and uh, and that's that's yeah. That's I mean, a, look, a shame Matic, and a problem. Matic has looked completely finished for eighteen months now, and, and, yeah. and he's getting worse, but he has. When Matter, I, I think I was able to rationalise some reason for giving him another year. I gave him another two, and in fact three with the option, the one-way option. And 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 it just doesn't, it looks like a terrible decision already, doesn't it? But United were so short on numbers in midfield and the club clearly not willing to, to spend the money on new midfielders. Uh, and so they gave him a new contract. Uh, United are going to reap what they sow here. And, and I, I suspect we're going to talk about this quite a lot. Um, on this podcast, but uh, the decisions made in the summer are coming back to haunt us already. And the thing is, the thing that I did find slightly frustrating about the West Ham game and the and the response to it was, yeah, it was absolutely abysmal. Um, but it was always going to be some abysmal stuff. You know, assuming that, even assuming, and I don't think this is, should be taken as read by any stretch of the imagination, obviously, but even assuming that Solskjaer is a good enough manager and that the club are able to execute a long-term strategy for the first time in however long, uh, 10 years minimum, um, even assuming that there was going to be games like this along the way yeah. where we're not we're not far enough down the road and the right collection of injuries hit us at the same time and we just are bad yeah so i did think there was a degree of like oh my god united are rubbish yeah i I mean where's the the shock yeah the the thing that worried me about this game was not so much oh this looks like a young side that's um that could be on the right kind of trajectory it it looked the opposite right no but but that's not what i'm saying what i'm but like the reason it didn't look like that wasn't just because it's not that it was also because the young players that would be needed, the the young talent that's being nurtured, was either fit or not fit or ill or do you know what I mean? Like Mason Green would have played that game if he was well, wouldn't he? You know. Yeah, I I mean I guess I I mean we, do you want to talk about some um, individual performances? So we had Rashford hobbling around, not great. Daniel James. I mean, just not in the game at all. I, I, it just didn't work for United. I mean, I, I kind of suspected as soon as I saw the team lineup that that the game plan, which is plan A, plan B, and plan C at the moment, which is to be compact in defence and then break out a pace, wasn't going to work with Matic and and Matter in there. Two players who just slow the ball down. So they slow the whole game down, but they also don't distribute the ball very quickly. So, um, which is that's just not really forgivable in this. Set up, you can. I can almost forgive them running through treacle because they're both shot. But uh, then at least make the ball move quickly. Uh, but neither of them could, and I, I, I suspected it would be a pretty hard day as a result of that. And and then West Ham have got some decent players, but I don't think it's this West Ham side is going to finish in the top half. I don't think they're particularly good. You know, I'm I'm even kind of suspicious about some of their players that are supposed to are supposed to be good. You know. Um, um, uh, Felipe Anderson does blow hot and cold. I mean, I have liked him in the past, but I don't really don't think he's a consistent player. That's true of Yarmolenko as well. Um, 
Alert up front, I think he will score goals, given the chance. You know, he looks like he has done throughout his career. Damien Rice, ah, there's a lot of question marks about him. For, for me, every time I... Dame, every time I... Is, what, it whether, is it whether he deserved his Mercury Prize or yeah, not? Sorry, Rice. Damian Rice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Declan Rice. Yeah, bit bit of uh, middle-of-the-road guitar and, you know, Manning guitar. Um, so, no, no, every time I see him, like, I just... I, it immediately strikes me that he's a central defender playing in midfield, right? And and sometimes he's had really good games and sometimes not. And he's 20, so lots and lots of time to to improve there and learn his trade and, and maybe he'll go on to have a great career. So anyway, just just a long way of saying, I don't think this is a great West Ham side, but they were much better than United on the day. On the day. I won't be surprised at all if they finish like at the very bottom of the top half. But you're not you're not looking at them finishing seventh or eighth, are you? Um, that would be a massive surprise. Uh, the, the, there was one really good moment from Mata where he played a through ball through to Rashford, and I think that was one of the moments where Rashford's lack of fitness really told because he ended up instead of like just plowing towards the goal and shooting, he kind of cut back inside and the chance died. But it was a beautiful through ball. The one one of the very few times when he when he did that and did move the ball quickly. Yeah. Um, um, but that was that uh, you know an exception in an, in to the rule. I mean the West Ham goals. The, the the first goal was bad defending. The second goal, I mean Aaron Cresswell worldy free kicks don't happen every day, do they? They, um, they don't. And uh, I you know it's hard to place any blame on uh, on that one because it's gone pretty much in the top corner. And the the first one, let's just talk about who's doing the bad defending there because. Um, like Scott McTominay and Andreas Pereira, nowhere near pressing the ball. Just nowhere near. Uh, Matic, I mean, he's just he's just a stone in midfield at the moment. He's, he's not going to move at all. Um, Ashley Young lets the player run off him. And instead of marking the zone, which, I mean, should be Maguire because on his side of the pitch, but it could have been either Maguire or Lindelof because they were actually close together. Neither of them attacked the ball. I, I've got to say, that's there's five players there, really horrendous defending. Uh, like basic stuff, and it's not a good. I've got to say, it's really not a good sign. I don't think that's lack of understanding. It's not lack of time now. He's had ten months trying to work with this this uh, most of that unit. So you know, really poor, and uh, like, and and then up front as well. It does really worries me. So the last time United actually put together a really fluent attacking performance. Chelsea aside, but Chelsea was kind of... That was not a fluent It wasn't a fluent performance. performance. It was kind of freakish in a way. Yeah. Um, and the last time was, I mean, well before the Paris game. So so we're talking January or something like that. You know, it's... it's a, like, it, so what were, what were they? There were 14 wins in the first 17 or something like that. Uh, and everyone felt really buoyant. And that ran, run ended in Paris, basically. And after that, I think it's I think it's five in nineteen, uh, and some yeah, of those victories and... are not very impressive. And like in in fact, um, thinking that Oliver K piece I referenced, um, in in four of them, except for the weekend, the Astana game, four of them, Oli had come out afterwards and said, "Oh, we didn't really play well there. We got a bit fortunate." And the the the, the, the Oli thing, it's a a big conversation. Obviously, like if Mourinho had been in charge when when West Ham 
that uh, you know, if that game had happened under Mourinho, we'd have talked about Mourinho up to this point in the show a lot more than we've talked sure. about Solskjaer yeah. up to this and, point and in the fair, show. And it's fair for us to address um, Solskjaer. And, and by the way, look, I'm not even anywhere near talking about Ollie out because, like, what be the point i mean yeah, you know, with no, these absolutely. owners and uh our investment strategy and and how we run as a club there, there's just no point but but it is it there's some worrying signs there is what i'm saying that you know we haven't been able to get back on track um even if we put it down to like it's likely to be an inconsistent season we're trying to you know embed some of these young players and new players and and we're waiting because one of the things i wanted to add to what i said earlier about the the plan is we're also waiting for some of the seeds to come to fruition. Like we, you know, it, this is a couple of transfer window strategy, isn't it? You know, Ma- so well, we're maybe. almost, I mean, uh, in theory, no, uh, obviously I'm not saying it's going to work or it's going to happen, but in theory, that would be the plan, wouldn't it? I mean, look, I guess so. Um, Just, just a broad sweep on, on transfer strategy. Cause look, there's a small picture and there's a big picture, right? The, the small picture is bad performance against West Ham, pretty worrying runner results. Uh, and the the team is we'd all like the team to progress faster than it is. Uh, I think we can accept it's going to be a very inconsistent season, right? The big picture is this is a club that is not run to um, be successful, win trophies, despite the the PR nonsense that came out of the fans forum and what was said on the investor call this week. Beca- because uh, so I, just, I tell you, I tell you just, why, but... right? United can spend uh, thirty five million pounds above revenue each year, you know. We have no financial fair play problem. We can spend six hundred fifty million pounds a year if we want on transfers, right? It's not going to happen, but can do. Um, and and we have uh, three hundred million pounds in the bank and uh, guiding in under one hundred fifty million a year in free cash flow, right? So there's oodles of cash. There's so much money, right? So, so everything gonna, that's not come... spent is a decision not to spend it. We're going to come on to talk about that in detail in a minute. So I just wanted to finish off the point that you were making, which I interrupted you making about Solskjaer, which is that even with all that said, the big problem at the moment is, this is the thing that we talked about with Mourinho, is even with a disastrously run club doing, like, making terrible decisions, what the manager's job is, is to get the best out of the resources he's got. And Solskjaer is not coming close to that. And there's no real evidence of progress in particular when it comes to the attacking structure of the side. That is looking well, well, well dodgy and a bad reflection on the job that Solskjaer is doing behind the scenes. Yes. And, and, that's, um, and, and, and then when, when, and, and some evidence of that is that this week there were, there were stories, you know, by unnamed sources in the dressing room that uh, some of the players believe that the approach on the training ground is, is a bit antiquated and, and it's less about Solskjaer necessarily because he's not that hands-on apparently. Uh, and more about Kieran McKenna, who did have a good reputation Maybe it's getting burned now. Um, and and Michael Carrick and Michael Phelan, who take most of the sessions. Anyway, who knows whether that's really true or not. But when there are dissatisfied players, you start to see these stories, don't you? Yeah, and and that's worrying. But more worrying is what we're seeing on the pitch, which is like... I I'm I still think that you know players switching off a side the defensive structure looks much better, um, but that only really goes out. I only mean the back five, the hair in the back four, the, the the and when McTominay plays with Pogba that's fine, but whenever anyone other than McTominay and Pogba are the central midfield duo and that's like you know that's 
as as I think we said on I said to you on the WhatsApp, like McTominay's great if he's the eleventh best player in your team, but you don't want him to be the third best player in a team, do you? Which sort of might be at the moment. That's obviously an exaggeration, but you know, um, yeah. But look, the rest and of McTominay may go on to have a very fine career at United, so he is also a young player who has been progressing. Sure. And and like let's let's make a really obvious lazy comparison and say. When Darren Fletcher first came into the side, he was vilified, and uh, we may have talked about this last week, and and called the Scottish player. And by the time end of his time at United, he was hailed as a you know a true United player who made the most of his abilities. So um, McTominay may get there. It, sh- it shouldn't be now, though, should it? Shouldn't it? No, exactly. And 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 that's that's the point, isn't it? So I I think there's some something's working defensively for the most part. Um, but nothing is working in terms of the attacking structure of the team. And that's injuries aside. You know, I, I do think the West Ham game is a bit of a, I think reacting really massively overreacting to the West Ham game seems weird given the context of the the specific injuries. But yeah. generally, well, it, the well you know, it's definitely amplified by social media. Of course, you know, I, it, it's not like it wasn't always a crisis during the Fergie era if United drew two games in a row, right? It's just the yeah. It was. The, I mean, it, I mean, definitely was right. It was just played out on the back pages, and we could all dismiss it. And and a few, you know, cranks called into the radio stations, uh, but all wrote articles for the Guardian. All wrote articles for the Guardian, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. They're totally, totally about a couple of draws in a row. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and 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 now it's just kind of if you live in the bubble of social media it feels like the entire band fan base is freaking out but it you know it's not it's uh, it's the bubble of that particular part I, of the I don't internet. know man I, I don't know I really don't I don't know that I necessarily agree with that I feel like that it's not exactly the same but it's a bit like you know whenever anyone's racist or violent they say oh proper football fans aren't like that but actually loads of proper football fans are exactly like that this feels a bit like that because I actually do think that most of the fan base, not most, but huge swathes of the fan base are freaking out. I don't think it, I, I think the existence of the social media bubble permeates outside of the social media bubble into real life to an extent. Yeah, it's just and, if you uh, if you extrapolate some of the negative comments, basically, uh, you could just go through the squad, right? So so extrapolate the most negative stuff said about every player and De Gea's shot, Wambasaka can't uh, cross uh, and uh, he's no good in the attacking third. Lind- Lindelof's rubbish should should get rid. Maguire's made four mistakes in five games. Well, that's probably true. Shaw's done. Uh, McTominay's rubbish. Rashford's rubbish. Martial's rubbish. Matter's done. Matic is done. You know, like... just like, I mean, a lot of that sounds like us, to it, be It fair. does sound like us, but, you know, it's it's just like... It's us turned up with the hyperbole turned up to eleven, and yeah. and th- that is Twitter. You know, <laughs> I, I'd like to think we're a yeah. bit more considered. Uh, yeah, maybe I mean, a little bit. <laughs> um, but then the club, the, the the club is clearly freaking out too because immediately after that game, in one of the most hilarious things that's, I mean, you were furious about this and rightly so, but it was also absolutely hilarious to me that after a loss to West Ham in September, the club is reacting to the chaos and the and the vitriol surrounding the club by putting out full blown PR statements. I mean, that was. Pretty, pretty wild, I thought. Yeah, so um, it, it seems to be that that was actually um, from a fans forum on Friday night that 
that statement. Oh, yeah, right. okay. So rather okay. than a post-game oh. statement, which changes the context a little bit. That said, right, this is a messaging line that they have decided that this is about long-term investment strategy. This is about being patient. This is, you know, we have a plan. It's working. We believe in it, right? It's exactly what Edward Wood came on the investor call to say. He doesn't ever talk about football on investor calls, and he spent the first five minutes trying to set some context. So, you know, and I, I think he knows, and and uh, people are saying behind the scenes he's he's taking some of this personally, and yeah, the criticism is getting to him a bit. And that was a message not for investors, right? Because investors having, you know, with United already having like floated a trial balloon about what the what the results would be, basically. Um, uh, financial results, you mean? Yeah, the financial results. Yeah, yeah. Uh, investors already marked down like three percent on the um, on the share price in the the previous twenty four hours. So, like, they, they had their say. That that piece was for media and others to say, yeah, we you know we we've got this in hand. You, you chill, lads. It's all all right. But we all know that's total, total, f- total. F- mm. So, just how yeah, dumb do the they problem, think we it? are? And and. I wonder at some point, uh, not just how dumb do they think we are, but how dumb are they? Because, like, maybe it's all just about net spend. Like, maybe it's just all about, okay, well, this is what the budget actually is, so all the big talk is nonsense, because really, you've got to spend $75 net in the summer. Um or is it that actually the level of incompetence to do deals is so staggering that they're not able to get players over the line? Like this is, and or or is it sort of a, a an unholy alliance of both? Yeah, no, I I I I'm certain it's it's an unholy alliance of both. What like one, you actually don't have the network and the contacts uh, across Europe to make those big money deals happen, right? Part of the reason why I think they're now going off full Brexit FC, um, because like, what does the nationality of a player have to do with like building a quality side? Can't see it. Um, so they don't have that, and and they're not prepared to to spend big. I mean, no, they're behaving like a club that's um, prepared to sell, although they're they're uh, they're briefing that they're not, and it's it's a long term game, you know, and it's certainly not going to be a traditional investor that uh, buys United if there is, because it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you'd, you'd make more money putting it in a bank account and and basically money's free right now. So you can't get an interest rate on something, but it's, uh, you know, United is such a poor performing financial asset. So anyway. But, but you, so what you mean by that is not that it doesn't generate vast amounts of money, but that it wouldn't be a financial asset in the sense of people that like buy and sell businesses and invest in business. Yeah, yeah, sure. So if you're, if you're going to invest in shares, what you're looking for two things, right? Growth, capital growth uh, in the value of the share, right? Price of the share goes up. Um, and yeah, and like talk, talk to talk like you're not talking to people with economics degrees. So, <laughs> like for example, your co-host. So two ways you make money as an, as an investor in a public company, so one that's traded on the stock market. Um, one, the price of the share goes up from the time you buy it to the time you sell it. So you make profit on it that way. It's capital gains. Uh, and two, you're paid a dividend based on your shareholding. Um, and um, uh, and the two of them combined is often what's called sort of a total return shareholders. It's the kind of Jack Welsh theory of, 
of uh, shareholder return being the most important thing a company can do. Now, um, United don't pay dividends to anyone who owns a Class A share. They give special dividends out to Class B shareholders, i.e. the Glazers. And, uh, and the share price isn't going up because the underlying growth metrics, like th there's no data you can show that Manchester United is really growing substantially, uh, are really poor. So people don't want to hold them. There's not an awful lot traded because most of the shareholding, 75% of the shareholding is held by the Glazers. They have well over 90% of the voting rights, by the way, because of the dual class structure. Um, so which can which can impact on share price, but it, it's just yeah, it's a poor asset uh, from a financial return. So if you want someone else other than the Glazers to own this club, it's going going to be an oligarch with a mega ego or some sport washing petro state, basically. So the 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 reason that it's such a massive asset to the Glazers, I'm sorry if this this is yeah. obviously very basic to you. Ed, it's very different. I, right? It's it's a weird. Um, you're in a weird situation where actually it's a great investment for them because they didn't really put any of their own money in. It was borrowed money. The, you know, a great leverage buyout that Edward Wood um, did for them when he was banker at J.P. Morgan. So it's made them loads of money. If they sold today at below market values, they, if they sold at, say, $2 billion, they'd still make tons of cash. Tons yeah, of and, and And it's also... That there's no imperative on them to sell it because you can be a business that doesn't look like a good investment opportunity that generates vast amounts of money. Right. That's the thing. And they, they take 22, well, they took 22 million in the last half of last year and then something else in the first half. So, you know, their living expenses are paid for by the club. It's, a, it's their ATM. And if they ever want, you know, a retirement fund, they sell the club. So, um, what are the headlines from the recent financials? Then that investor call. What what are actually the the takeaways from a financial? Yeah, I mean, like actually, nothing revolutionary in a, a financial sense. The the call was fascinating just because of the the messaging was different than normal. I sit on these stupid things once a quarter. Um, so what have we got? Um, headline revenues up to six hundred and twenty seven million. It's uh, it's an increase of about. 8% um, is almost entirely down to uh, an increase in broadcast revenue, which is entirely down to the champion being in the Champions League. So commercial revenue is actually slightly down at 275.1. Uh, uh, broadcast was up, as I said. Match day revenue was slightly up, but you know, less than a, like a million pounds over the year. Um, and um, a bit I was up, right? So this is like before you start doing accounting adjustments, your free cash flow. Um, and this is um, that's like the most twenty twelve, no, well twenty ten rank cast word that exists. Yeah. It's the yeah. word a bit That's like every other word on this show. Once upon a time. So you take all of that, and then you take off taxes, you take off any special deductions, and you amortize all your assets. And and in United's case. Pay a little bit of a tax, um, but it's actually a uh, company registered in the Cayman Islands and, and um, floated on New York Stock Exchange. So there's some efficiencies from that, shall we say. Um, deductions, there was actually a special deduction this time around, about £20 million to pay off uh, Mourinho and his team. Uh, and the amortisation was pretty high, actually, in the well over £100 million, although um, uh, the CFO, Mike Batty, 
uh, guided that would be lower just uh, you know united it is to do with uh, how many players they renew on new contracts because you start amortizing differently how many you've bought in the previous years and you're you're um writing off as uh, as they go through their contract so um it's not necessarily an indicator of the future um and that leaves uh, an offering operating profit of about 50 million pounds right um the the interesting stuff is what i said you know there's there's a pile of cash right so gross debt's over 500 million still it's really not moving at all um uh, the interest paid went up a little bit because of forex changes and net debt's at about just over 200 million because united have 300 million pounds in cash in the bank that's mad, isn't it? It is. And then they attached this thing to the um the the guidance, which was basically a facility for selling more shares. I think uh, Bloomberg erroneously reported that the Glazers planned to sell four hundred million dollars worth of shares. It's just guy it's telling the market that they are sort of reserving the right to do that. They might do. Of course they have sold off a bunch of blocks of shares. They would sell off B class shares only. Um uh, and um, sorry, eight class shares only, um, so non-voting right shares, presumably, so they can keep control. If they wanted to raise more money, I don't think it looks very efficient to really actually pay down much of that debt. If you're the Glazers, obviously, you know, fans, we'd we'd probably like uh, the club to be in a safer position or a better position. Um, but um, for the for them, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think if they do sell off more shares, it would just be to take cash. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and it's very important to for those of us who are, have had a sort of crash course in leverage buyouts and share ownership and all that stuff in the last twenty years um, that these kind of shares can't generate a change in ownership, right? Because they don't confer voting rights onto the shareholders. Right. Is that right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So. I mean, the best you can do by buying these shares is is make some return, but you are not going to uh, be able to force a purchase. So this is not like when Coolmore were buying up shares um, in United prior to um, 2005, and then the Glazers started doing it as well, and there were these kind of competing blocks of share ownership, and then the Glazers bought bought out Coolmore and and forced a sale. Basically, it's it's not like that. They're not going to do it. they 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 structured it in much of the way many tech companies are structured. Um, so they have total control for as long as they like, um, and they can just keep milking it. And and in a sense, right? The although everyone freaks out about the share price, I, th- I think it's probably important to remember that it doesn't really matter until they decide they want to sell. Yeah, it's not that important. So it's only paper money, right? So you, you'll see headlines saying, "Yeah, three hundred million pounds wiped off United's share value." In fact, you know, it's lost almost a billion from its its high point, a you know, fifty-two week high. It doesn't matter. They're not unless they're actually going to sell. This this is irrelevant. And also, that metric is only relevant when you compare it to the market as a whole, right? So, like shares have, have had a bumpy ride in recent years. Um, well, well you, in this country, six months, I guess they yeah. floated on the New York. Yeah, they're floating on New York, and and um, it's it's been a tough six months on the, yeah. yeah in New York, yeah. Um, worth saying that uh, we're recording this during the Rochdale game, and I've just seen a player come on, and I've never heard of him. Ah, <laughs> so Brendan Williams. Yeah, us. yeah. He's yeah. he's a very nice left back. I like him a lot, and uh, he's. Great. I mean, given given United's problems in that area, he's uh, he's definitely an interesting one to watch. I mean, super super young, you know, very callow player, but uh, very very talented, classy on the ball, can defend good going forward, plays with either foot. 
Right. So yeah, he can play in either he fullback made... position, but it's definitely left 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 side is his preference there. So yeah, he's very nice. Now he had thirteen shots in the first half, still nil nil, uh, three on target. So different players, same result. <laughs> well, except uh, we uh, did we have thirteen shots against West Ham. I haven't looked at the data, but let's not go back to that West Ham game. Uh, we're playing Arsenal next after Rochdale. Pog was back. Uh, I guess Martial. I don't know. I actually have no idea what the prognosis is with Martial, but um, we obviously like could very much do with him back. Arsenal, an interesting side. It feels like they are also. I mean, us and them is like the Spider-Man meme of the two Spider-Mans looking at each other and pointing at each other. Once great clubs deprived of their formerly great manager, although ours was good all the way through. Um, uh, and just deep in the mire of crisis after crisis. But it does feel like Arsenal have got substantially more emergency firepower when the rest of the team is rubbish than we have at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I think, I think you know, their, um, their attack is the thing that will get them into the top four if they're going to make it there, uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a, a weird result at the weekend and they dug out a win, but they really rode their luck um, pretty intensely. I have no idea what their Carabao Cup result was uh, in midweek, if they might be playing right now, actually. But I don't think that has any bearing on anything. I certainly wouldn't think it would have from a United perspective. Um, so you wonder what the team's going to look like. I mean, I guess we're going to Gea, Wan-Bissaka, Lindelof, Maguire. A left-back probably still Ashley Young, right? I mean, is Shaw's not played in this game. Maybe Brandon Williams will start if he has a blinder of a second half no. here against Rochdale. No. He 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 won't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, uh, Ashley Young will be at left. I mean, I, I can't see like defensively. It's going to be exactly the same back five, isn't it? And then Pogba will come into the team, and uh, I guess Matic, hopefully for Matic. Matic will hopefully drop out, and and um, uh, McTominay will play. And then then the the question mark after that is who plays at number ten. I mean, United is so I mean, short in midfield that Pogba's going to have to play a bit deeper, I suspect. So short up front that maybe maybe he should play up front as well. So I, I don't know. I mean, um, Martial will be a good question whether he's fit. I'm presuming, given the way Rashford went down with what looked like a groin or thigh injury, that he's not going to be available. Daniel James will oh, start. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And and then it's and and like depending on injuries, it's it's one of Mata Pereira, Greenwood or Greenwood, yeah. And I think Greenwood will play. That'd be my guess. I don't know why you wouldn't at this point. Um, that Lingard, oh man, he's been dreadful again in this game. I mean, Mister Header narrowly Mister Header, but the, the side of a player hasn't scored this calendar year. Uh, yeah, playing up really... front against West Ham was was something to be seen. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, you know, he's played as a false 10. And I don't mean that as a diss. I mean, tactically, he's a false 10, right? He's not, he isn't, hey, guess what? He's not a foot on the ball number 10. <laughs> no. Um, but, you know, he's he's played as a false 10. No, he's played as a false 9. So, But mostly he's just been, he's in an absolutely appalling run of form or... The people that said he was rubbish all along were right all along. Yeah, um, and, and look, uh, I wonder. Um, I wonder. There's a, there is an alternative, of course, it is that Fred comes into midfield and Pogba pushes further forward. And and Fred's just been rubbish all the time he's been at United. But one thing yeah. I'd say about his performance against the Sun, he was at least trying to be progressive. Right, he he does try to move the ball quickly and move it forward. It's often not very accurate, uh, which is part of the problem with Fred. 
Um, but uh, there aren't too many other midfielders that are doing that. He, um, Matic, in that game, I messaged you going, oh, maybe we found Matic's level because he made like two good passes. And then he had 10 absolutely dreadful minutes in a row. It's like, nope, the Kazakhstani league is not the one. Yeah, well, no he put it. Did you see the tweet Matic put out after that? He's, he's, uh, he's reinstigated his Twitter account, which has been right. dead for months. And he put out a sort of infographic saying how many passes he'd made. Um, I I just I was like fuck off I mean just please I mean part of me was like okay fine put yourself in the shop window mate you know I think Mm. together with a few of the things he's said recently there's a bit of a chip on the shoulder there that he believes he should be in the team and he feels slighted for not being in the team and he has no sense of his own level at all which I guess many footballers don't yeah and it's a sort of necessary delusion isn't it professional sports being a professional sports person is a lot about convincing yourself that you can do impossible things. So when you can't do them anymore until, you know, you convince yourself of it until you can do it. And then when you can't do it anymore, it's very difficult to stop assuming that you can. Um, So, you know, I don't begrudge him for struggling to understand his own level because it's one of the great quandaries of the human existence to try and do that. Um, But yeah. Well, talking talking of impossible things, uh, Chris Smalling uh, made his Roma debut tonight. In defeat, yes! in defeat at home oh. to Atalanta, but um, he's getting good reviews for his performance. Chris Smolini storming Chris, it up in the I, Italian league. Like I, may, I maintain that my main interest in Chris Smalling's season is, is how good the vegan Parmesan alternatives he finds are. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, God bless him and all I, his I actually had some Georgia. vegan Parmesan the other day. Just, you know. How was it? Uh, it was all right. It was quite good, actually. Put it in spinach. For a sort nice. of cheesy oh, spinach nice. thing. Vi- Life cream cheese is by far and away good. the best yeah. main, like mainline vegan cheese. Not like fancy. Oh, oh! I really thought we just conceded against Rochdale, but a goal line clearance from Aaron Wambasaka meant that we didn't. Although, my goodness, we are a joke. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so the Arsenal game, I don't know. I don't know how to preview this game, Ed. I can't see. I can't see a dramatic uptick in our performance levels. Why? Why would we see that? What? Have, what? There's no evidence. There's like obviously we've got players coming back, but then weren't like we were playing brilliantly before they went. So I, I'm extremely pessimistic about this game. I suspect we're looking at the down the barrel of a sort of two nil loss or something like that. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, like. On the positive side, Arsenal have started the game in the season in kind of mixed fashion. You know, a couple of draws, loss, uh, and they are conceding goals. So that that's the thing that tells you that United may be able to 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 get some good out of this game. It's at Old Trafford. Um, on the negative side, we're not scoring any goals, really. <laughs> on the negative side, we're absolutely toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that is the negative part, and and, <laughs> and and you just kind of wonder how United will approach this game because really we should take the game to Arsenal. It's probably not going to be that way. I, I wonder whether this is a game where Arsenal have sort of sixty percent possession. And United try and play on the break, but we're just we're just not. There's no zip in our in our you know breaks at the moment. Um, and Pogba, by the way, is extremely important to that kind of uh, ability to transition quickly extremely important don't care what the haters think he's just you know he puts up 
outstanding numbers, um, especially in those kind of um, sort of yeah, HG chain. Sorry, that's going to wind people up as well. But yeah, especially those kind of numbers, Eden Hazard level numbers, right? You know, his involvement in chance creation. Um, so you know, looks like he hasn't I, done himself an injury in this game, so he'll he'll be back inside, and that's that's a hope for us that we can play that way. I, can't believe you've said that after 55 minutes of the Rochdale game. <laughs> it's like if Pogba gets injured now, everyone has got recorded proof of whose fault it oh, was. Oh, you know Brandon Williams is the United fullback. Triple, triple step over, followed by turning back and playing it back to a midfield player. Pure <laughs> Antonio Valencia right there. God bless Antonio Valencia. He's in Ecuador playing football. Um, right. Let's do some Twitter questions, shall we? I'm a, I'm a little bit terrified of Twitter questions this week. All right. First question from friend of the show, Joey Mangini. Since 2013, it hurts less and less as United decline. It's just become more normalised that we stink. But the level of annoyance has grown exponentially. My question is, why do we struggle against every team despite their league table position? I'm not sure the first part of the question really related to the second one. But that first part, actually, I, I do think people have kind of, you know, they are normalising. Yes, they're freaking out. But um, uh, you know, and and they're, and they're freaking out because United are losing bad games. Um, but we've all accepted that our place in in the league table is somewhere between fourth and seventh, haven't we? Yeah, that's starting to feel like uh, kind of delusions of grandeur, to be honest. The the fourth part of that certainly. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what the question is really. Yeah, why we? I think was the uh, was the I mean, question. I, I, I feel I don't I don't feel like that's a question we need to to, <laughs> to, to specifically address as a question. Devil Seven Seven says, uh, "Is Paul done with football journalism? I know he left Ble- Bleacher Report a while back. Uh, are there any plans to return to writing?" Uh, yeah, I am like ninety five percent done, uh, but I have just written a script for a TIFO video. Um, uh, last week um, and I've got another one in the pipeline that I'm going to write uh, and I'm going to go and be on the TIFO podcast in October as well um, and do bits and pieces of video stuff with full-time devils but uh, in terms of like uh, writing more regularly uh, it's a very sort of occasional borderline borderline hobby at this point I'm certainly not interested in a uh, in a proper writing job if, uh, I know this is like a very weird thing to say for, for a lot of people it would be like a dream job for me it was a a, a very beautiful opportunity um because it meant that I could give up my office job to actually pursue the work that I'm really passionate about which is as a counselor and psychotherapist and that's that's uh, what I'm doing full time now. I, I run my own practice. Email me if you want rates. I mean, I, I'm I'm just going to say I think there might be quite a few Manchester United fans who need your services. <laughs> yeah, I, I work via Skype, so anywhere in the world. Nice, nice. Uh, do you uh, are you part of that platform they advertise on podcasts all the time? No, ah, it's like no, the no, Uber for all, therapists. All, all proper independent stuff around these parts. Ah. Uh, related question. Mike Oxmall says, just how close is Paul to quitting the United podcast game? <laughs> um, I don't know. You won't let me, basically. <laughs> you, it, This is like, this is the prorogation thing. I'm like, maybe this should be our last year. And you're like, nah, people like it. Yeah. All right, fine. M- Mike adds, that's, poor that's... guy sounds like he's done with it. Abso done with it. Ed's keeping it <laughs> together. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean. I, I'm not sure that's true. I, I don't know what to say about it anymore, which is the big problem. Like this week, 
I don't feel like I've added anything of value. Once again, I don't feel like I've added anything of value to the conversation ah. around United. We're just repeating what everyone knows. But, you know, it's it's everyone. You need something to listen to when you're at work, don't That's you? That's right. So. Andrew Yaxley, uh, who is a Portland Timbers fan, though, so therefore a scumbag. Uh, what activities do you do on a regular basis that are more painful than watching Manchester United? Oh, man. So I've been trying to do crunches, uh, which you and I have talked about, because um, I'm I'm trying to get in shape as a, a general principal. And that's generally going well. Like, it's certainly better than it's been for many years. But uh, oh, when I started doing crunches, that was as painful as watching Manchester United. They, quite quickly, the pain was a lot less, though. So. No, that's true. Was, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm three years into my week. insane fitness schedule. Um, so I can do... Uh, I do a couple of hundred different types of crunches every morning as a warm, warm myself up for the day. So you'll get there. I'm, just, I'm absolutely buzzing when I get to 30, by the way, like buzzing. Three reps of 10, like that's unbelievable. Seems yeah, I me. do that in the evening as well. <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, of course you do. Uh, yeah, stomach like a washboard, honest. Yeah. <laughs> McSauce, Shitting House goes, FC no. Ultra says... Uh, also, that James boy on Twitter. Also, now oh. I've read your breakdown of the financial call, can we feasibly use the fact that they don't seem to care about the debt to just build a new stadium? And where would be the ideal for such a build? Um, interesting, yeah. I mean, United, actually, given given uh, the levels of revenues and what a stadium costs, could could leverage a new stadium pretty easily, I'd imagine. Um, might, might be, given that there is a stadium there already, better spending the money on actually, like, maintaining the current ground before it collapses around our ears um, because they really haven't spent much on it. Um, Although they said on the call they'd been spending capital on the stadium. And I think a lot of fans would say, where? Where exactly? I mean, maybe they've got some plush new um, uh, corporate boxes or something like that. Um, Do they they mean the murals in the Alex Ferguson stand when they renamed it Alex Ferguson? I think that's it. Um, Yeah. Um, Not a lot of investment in the stadium. Uh, where would you build a new stadium? I mean, you'd just stick it in the car park opposite the uh, the um, the uh, East End, wouldn't you? I guess so, because you already own the land. And I don't know, you wouldn't want to move somewhere. I don't know the the physical geography of the area and the available large-scale They own loads of the of land property. around there. Yeah, United have yeah. been buying it up. So, yeah, there's... Um, I mean, I, I'm 100% certain it's not in the plans, but uh, could be be quite funny if they built it to spoil hotel football's view in, in uh, retribution <laughs> pretty Actually, petty, that, would, it? that would just benefit hotel football to be honest so um yeah uh they're not going to build a new stadium right i mean the only reason you would do it for money is if match day revenue could be greatly enhanced and i i don't see how you could do that say we magically transplanted spurs's new stadium but with a few more seats in it to where Old Trafford is, we would we really be making loads and loads more money in match day revenue no. from the sales of con? Uh, I was going to say condiments, concessions is the word. I'm the, yeah, for. I mean, like, um, I, the, I'm lucky that I managed to get around the world and see the world somewhat, and I um, uh, managed to get to sport as well around the world. Um, and I have to say that you know th- there's a very mixed bag of stadiums. If you go to uh, a sport in the US at one of the sort of modern grounds, you know, either NFL or or, or baseball or, or whatever, um, they're vastly superior 
you know um they really are built around um uh, around making money not just from like people sitting there but from spending money you go to old traffic you're gonna queue for ages to get a champion's lager i know they don't sell champion's lager anymore because we haven't been champions for such a long <laughs> yeah, time no, that's right um <laughs> but you know they're built to sell you stuff you know you, you go to the yankees and you'll buy a 15 dollar hot dog and uh you know, a $10 beer, and uh, that's probably out of date now. It's probably more than that. Um, and you won't wait very long to do it because they want to make sure that you can spend that money. So anyway, um, like... Yeah, and just, to, you thing, know, in the, terms the quality, of like... Like, Old is obviously big, but um, on a, like, kind of global level, it's not very good anymore, and, and it could be updated. And, you know, it, it, even, like, less horrible consumer capitalism just stuff to do for kids and, you know, all, all the kind of things that, that, that you could, I, I mean, I know there's a, there's a strange, it's a bit of a delicate thing in British football society because anything that you do that isn't catered for middle-aged men to shout at foreigners uh, gets people upset. But, you know, th- th- there is, there is room for a, a different type of experience to the fully hardcore football fun. And if you're not, if your main interest isn't just go and passionately support Man United, uh, it, which is a huge number of people in the ground are there to, you know, just for the experience. It's not much of an experience, is it? No, that's right. Um, actually, uh, there was a report out this week saying that United would be interested in installing rail seats. Uh, and yeah that'd be fantastic like, that that may well really help with the atmosphere may well you know, and, you'd be giving you know, people license to get together and to stand which is what they want to do and and for those fans who passionately want to create an atmosphere as they do at away games all the time um it would be giving those fans a chance to do that at Old Trafford which hasn't been the case for what 15 years worth saying worth saying that moving the singing section into a big section of the Stretford end I think seems to be working in terms of atmosphere generation in a way that it wasn't able to in J stand. So, although, as I've said, every time, uh, whenever you were anywhere near the singing section, them being there made the atmosphere way better. It's just, it didn't percolate out from J stand mm. too well. Andy McCoy says, I know it's by no means on the card cards, but would removing Edward would actually solve the problems. I would well, glazer appointed th- replacement just be the same. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, they trust Edward Wood and they've given him a lot of power because they trust him. But they do manage backwards, I think, right, from how much they would like to extract in dividends to how much they need to generate as revenue to how much they can get away with spending in order to to fulfil part one of that equation. Yeah, and I think there's, there's an interesting dynamic here because I think Ed Woodward personally, this is complete unfounded speculation based on our favorite kind of speculation yeah exactly but my gut suspicion is that edward would would absolutely love to be the ceo of a champions league winning football team like i think a huge part of his kick in all of this is actually he would ruddy love to be the big i am in you know and and held in great esteem by the united faithful as the man who engineered the triumphant return to glory of manchester united yeah, not, not the, gonna happen down, no no but I, I i do think he wishes it would yeah so yeah I do, I, but look, I, I by do the way he he, he wouldn't given the reputation he's created for himself as a you know f- financial person and actually i do want to talk about that a little bit more 
um, and rather than a, a football person, I don't think he'd get another job in this particular role at any other club, right? And he definitely Never. wouldn't get paid as much as, as he's getting paid right now. He wouldn't get four million pounds um, as the CEO of a, a um, two billion dollar market cap um, company, unless it was a small like boutique investment bank, right? So um, he's on a very good thing right now. Um, yeah, and doing a very so bad we, job at it. So the other thing I wanted to say was actually, you know, he's kind of, I, I wanted to kind of like bust this myth that he's some kind of commercial genius, right? Mm-hmm. So for the first, last sort of four years in a row, United's commercials have been absolutely flat. It, it They grew rapidly as the whole market for for like media, football-related media grew, right? So as the globalization of the internet brought more and more people online into Twitter and Facebook and other channels and allowed greater and easier distribution of media through not only just traditional cable and satellite, but IPTV, right? This has helped globalize the game and helped drive sponsorship revenues in the same way that actually it's allowed um, the international rights of broadcast to increase, um, which got nothing to do with Ed Woodward at all. And by the way, Mason Greenwood's just scored a cracking goal. Yeah, God bless Mason Greenwood. God bless Mason Greenwood. Get me in the team every week. No pressure, Mason. I know you're 17, but you got to save our season. <laughs> anyway, so I just, yeah. I just, I just, I just don't buy it. I, I think there was a stage when he very aggressively moved United into sort of regional and channel marketing, right? And that was kind of interesting. And every other club around Europe kind of copied the model, but he hasn't done anything since then. And there's no magic formula he can come up with to sell a turd to to more sponsors, right? So it looks like he's maxed out that market. Um, and now you're going to get into the situation next season when almost certainly we're going to have to take a discount on the Adidas deal when the shirt sponsorship is up for renewal and a whole bunch of other regional sponsors are also up for renewal. So it's it's a real problem. And on the investor call, they talked an awful lot about renewals of investors, right? Not bringing new ones in it. It was a really interesting line where they said, you know, it's all very good. Everyone gets excited about new sponsors, but renewing our current sponsors is is just as good. And like a new signing. It's like a new signing. Uh, talking of signing, worth pointing out that Phil Jones probably didn't say sacked in the morning on that. Uh, oh, he did. Definitely did. Yeah, yeah. There was a bunch of uh, lip readers said he did. <laughs> yeah, must be. What, must whatever be. he said, Edward Wood was angry. Well, Edward could have been angry at any number of people in or around Phil Jones at that yeah. point. I actually thought, like, if he was angry at Phil Jones for that, um, he needs to look in the mirror a bit because his, like, his, his facial expressions and throwing his hands up in the air, um, he's got to know he's on camera as well. And he did not look like a man who was, like, calm and cool CEO. He looked like a man who's annoyed with the team. Yeah, and you know, um, I I can't remember. Sorry, I can't remember who even asked the question. It was such a long time ago. But the the thing about replacing Woodward is, if you replaced Woodward, you would replace him with more than one person, and that's where you could potentially see some genuine progress. Assuming that the aim of the ownership was to win, like which there's no no evidence, no to evidence suggest. for it at all. They talked about he he called it head of football. He said there's been a lot of speculation about head of football or director of football, technical director. Uh, we think our system is working. 
That's brilliant. Can I just start to say, I think I'm really good at maths. And now it just turns out I'm really good at maths, even though I'm not at all good at maths. I I think my bank account is like so full, it's bursting. I think we're winning so much, we're bored of winning. (laughs) We're the winningest. Yeah. We are the, we're not the winningest. Um, If only it was American sports, we'd get all the best new players, wouldn't we? Guri Dalliwell well, says, why has Solskjaer implemented a system which could heavily, which heavily depends on a number 10 when we clearly don't have that kind of player? It's a very, 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 very good question. And I'm a bit disturbed that I haven't thought about that as well, being Well, I, I think we've question. talked about it a lot because you could play Pogba there and he would be a very good number 10. Uh, but we really needed to have replaced Fellaini and Herrera and get another player in, in you know, before that. Next, by next summer, of course, because I don't believe we'll buy anyone in the in the winter window. Matic will be gone for sure, and there's a, every chance that Pogba may well be as well. Um, we may need to buy four midfielders. Well, Pogba ain't going to go and join Mourinho at Madrid, is he? Although I think they might be top of the league, La Liga now, so maybe Zidane will keep his job for a bit. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, there's tension between uh, him and uh, and El Presidente for sure. I think Brandon Williams... Oh, no, he's just getting booked. I thought he was going to get sent off. Ah, oh, no, nice. it, wasn't, it wasn't even him. It was someone else altogether. You, essentially, you can't podcast and accurately cover football matches at the same we time. Can't, we can't That's really not... uh, podcast... We can't really accurately cover football matches and then podcast them about them, to be honest. So doing two things at once is, is difficult. Vivek13 yeah. asked, will we be violating FFP if we spend $1 billion in the next two windows? I'm not saying we will. <laughs> I just, just in case. Well, yes, we probably would be. I mean, you have... <laughs> you, basically, it's on, on a rolling three-year basis, and um, United uh, United can spend, as I said before, thirty-five million over revenues. Um, so we could spend somewhere in the region nineteen hundred million over three years. So we could spend the billion and then just not spend much in the next few years. We would probably go bust though, because we don't really have the cash flow to spend that money. <laughs> worth it. Worth a gamble. Worth a punt. <laughs> uh, on. Yeah, you would need to spend probably three hundred million on this team to make it any good, though, wouldn't you? Which is and we've been going on for some while. So, last question. This is a good one, actually. Um, John Jenkins says, "Looking forward to us being knocked out of the twenty twenty one twenty twenty two UEFA Conference League in the quarterfinals by Efzan Partizani Tirana on away goals." <laughs> is a third tier of the European competition really necessary? Absolutely, is not. And I, I just don't understand this. I do not understand this competition at all. Do you think broadcasters are going to pony up more money for the champions of Albania versus the third place Danish team? Right. Uh, no, I know. If that's a sincere question, Ed, then uh, I feel like I know the answer to that one. There's 15 um, clubs from the uh, big five Euro leagues in the Europa League. There's only going to be five in the conference league which is just a fantastic name because you know is it going to be part-time or you know are the are the amateur teams of bus drivers probably actually um Vauxhall are absolutely buzzing to budget i know so this is designed for smaller leagues around europe problem is if you finish eighth right if you win the carabao cup sorry or depending on if the carabao cup winners qualified for a, a higher level competition if you finish eighth you could be stuffed into this f- competition I mean, just how awful would that be having to play like like possibly 18 games against like third-rate competition? It's absolutely ultra-football detention, isn't it? 
Um, right. So uh, I was I was was half holding out for us getting to the end of the Rochdale game, but let's assume that United have gone on from here and won seven nil. It's one nil after seventy four minutes. Could happen. Could happen. I'm not ruling it out. Does this have does this have a bearing on your prediction of the Arsenal score? No, and you're gonna you're gonna predict a draw, aren't you? Yeah, I, I probably, oh, am I. Well, you see, now you've called my bluff. Now, so I'm I'm doubting myself. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna predict a one-all draw. <laughs> That's given how given the state of us at the moment. That is like Ed predicting a ten-nil loss. Just if you look back on the history of the rank cast, the times he predicts draws are when we play absolutely elite teams, or when really he thinks we're gonna lose and doesn't want to predict it. Um, all right, I think sadly I'm going to predict a 2 0 Arsenal win. Um, and here's hoping uh, my ridiculous pessimism is swiped off the face of the earth by the glorious winds of the Solskjaer Revolution, which finally pick up some steam again. Uh, Patreon backers, stay tuned for more content. Everyone else, we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot for listening to this nonsense. Bye now. <laughs>